Let's uh, draw our hearts t- together in prayer once again. And uh, at the end of our prayer, we're going to take a, a minute's silence just in, in remembrance of Her Majesty the Queen. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, you love each one of us so much that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, so that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but live in your kingdom forever. We draw near to you at this moment of national mourning to thank you for the life of Elizabeth, our queen, to pray for her family, her closest friends in their time of grief and sorrow and to pray for King Charles III. Merciful and ever-loving God, we remember how the Lord Jesus once stood at the graveside of Lazarus, his friend, and wept. And Lord, believing the Bible to be true, when it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. We know that in our times of grief and sadness, we do not have a savior who is indifferent to human pain and loss. Rather, we know that Jesus feels our sadness and shares in our gladness. As we look back on the life and service of Elizabeth, our queen, God, we see your sovereign and providential hand in her ascension to the throne. For in her you have blessed the country and the commonwealth with a queen whose long and inspiring life has shown us what service and duty and steadfastness look like. In her we have seen the the good that is accomplished when we respect, encourage, forgive and honour one another. In our queen we have seen the very finest example of humility, kindness, selflessness and devotion to duty. But above all these things, Lord, we have seen and we remember and we think fondly upon her commitment to Christ. We pray for the royal family at the centre of this time of mourning. For to them, the death of the queen is the passing of a greatly loved mother and mother-in-law, grandmother and great-grandmother, cousin and family member. Theirs is the grief that is most acute. And Lord, we pray as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death at this time, may they all know the comfort of your rod and your staff and the love of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ the Lord. We give thanks to most gracious God that we have seen the light of Jesus Christ shining brightly and enduringly in Queen Elizabeth's heart. And perhaps this is her greatest legacy to us all. God, we will never forget her Christmas Day broadcasts when we were all welcomed into her home and when she spoke about our faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ with unfailing sincerity and winsomeness. Her trust was so evidently in the one who once said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. For this, 
we will always be grateful. As we give thanks to you, O God, for the life of Elizabeth, our Queen, we rejoice that through faith in Jesus Christ, our Queen now enjoys her eternal reward, safe in your everlasting kingdom, where the praises of God are forever sung. And Lord, as our new King walks in the footsteps of his gracious mother, guide him, O God. May the reign of King Charles III be wise, selfless, and kind. Give him strength, goodness, steadiness, and health, so that he too may long reign over us. May you use him, Lord, for the advancement of your kingdom and for your purposes, we pray. Hear us, loving God, as we pray these things in the name of the King who is above all other kings, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, be near us now as we ask you to draw close to our hearts as we pause for a minute's silence. Amen. We turn to God's word now as we uh, still take a wee break from our study in First Peter. And we're going to be reading from two different parts of Mark's gospel this morning. And if you can remember back to last week, I'd, I'd spoken about uh, the Lord had laid two messages on my heart to, to share with you. And actually, uh, I had considered changing uh, uh, what I was going to share this morning in, in light of the news of this past week. But uh, as I prayed about it and thought about it, and as I saw um, countless and countless quotes that the Queen had said, actually it reinforced uh, what I wanted to share this morning. Actually, one of them I, I, I read this morning, which I just thought, thought was amazing. Um, the Queen once uh, was, was speaking to her chaplain, and, and uh, she said that she long wished that uh, Jesus would return in, in her lifetime. And her chaplain asked, why is this? Why would you like that? And she said with a quivering lip, um, I, I would love to be able to lay my crown at his feet. Is that not just a wonderful picture of her attitude towards King Jesus? So uh, I'm going to continue with what I had pre uh, prepared. I've changed it ever so slightly. Um, but we're going to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. And then we're going to read from uh, Mark 11, verses 15 to 19. And, and the reason for reading these two, I want to show the contrast between two different attitudes uh, to, to Jesus uh, as we think uh, about our sermon this morning, um, which is, uh, he was at home. The question is, how, how can Jesus be at home in a palace, but also be 
in home at a rented accommodation or a homeless shelter? How's that, how's that possible? Because they're, very two, they're two very different settings and, and contexts. But actually, as we see this morning, I, I believe God shows us in his word that the answer to that is the posture of our heart. So let's read from God's word, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to verse 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. After, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to this man? Your, sons are for, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise, take your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them. All so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And we're going to read very quickly in Mark 11 as well. Verses 15 to 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house? shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Amen. Let me ask you a question that you might think strange. Is... God welcome in this place? Does God feel welcome in Sandy Hills Parish Church? You might think, well, of course he does. This is a church. There's an organ. There's a pulpit. Of course he's going to feel welcome. But actually, we see from Jesus' interaction in our second reading in Mark that just because it was a temple doesn't mean that God was welcome in that place. Mark tells us something very interesting in Mark 2 verse 1, where he says this wee phrase that we might just gloss over, but actually it should kind of hit us between the eyes. And that was that it was reported that Jesus was at home. That Jesus was at home. 
people had heard that Jesus had returned to Capernaum. And it wasn't reported that he was there on a visit or he was there on a wee holiday or a work trip, but that he was at home. Now, why is that interesting and why should we take note of that? Well, actually, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man had no place to lay down his head. Jesus didn't actually have a, a home that he paid rent on or things like that. He didn't have anywhere to lay down his head. But here we have Mark in this gospel account tell us that it was reported that Jesus had returned home. So where was Jesus what house was he in? Well, it was probably Simon Peter's house. And earlier on in Mark's gospel, when Jesus was in Capernaum, he had already been um, healing people. And, and he'd healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law in this house. And it's thought that this would be the house that Jesus would have, have called home or, or he looked comfortable in. He had been at this house before. So this was someone else's house that Jesus was staying in. But actually, it was reported that Jesus was at home. When we have guests over, sometimes you'll say to them, make yourself at home. There'll be other people you wouldn't say that to because you don't want them to stay too long. Uh, and actually, you maybe don't even let them into the sitting room or offer them a cup of tea and coffee. But, but here, Jesus felt at home, even though he didn't have a place to lay down his head. Jesus had taken up residence in this house. Is that how Jesus feels about Sandy Hills Parish Church. Is it reported that Jesus is at home here? Or is he a visitor? Is he a guest? Or is he at home? If Jesus takes up residence in a place, it's where people go looking for him. That's why they were, the crowds were at this house. It was reported that Jesus was at home and off they went. People were, were gathering. There were so many people there that they couldn't even get any more inside. Not even around the entrance to the house, the door. So it was such with a large crowd that had gathered to be near to Jesus. I read the passage in Mark 11 though to show us that actually just because a place might have the right bits and pieces in it it doesn't mean that Jesus feels at home in that place. Here what we see is the difference is, because the temple had it all, they had all the bits and pieces that the temple was meant to have, but the heart posture was completely wrong. It's about the heart. I once heard a story about a wee boy who had been at school and in the school assembly, the, the minister had been uh, telling the boys and girls about how the Bible is God's book. This is God's book. And he kept referring to the Bible as God's book. Later on that evening, when the wee boy had gone home and they were having dinner around the, the table, uh, the, the mum and dad were asking him, what have you learned in school today? It's always an interesting question. You never know what they're going to get. Often it's nothing. But this wee boy said, uh, well, we learned that the, the Bible is God's book. So I think we should give him back our Bible because we never use it. Is your house his home. Is this house God's home? The passage we read in Mark 11 shows us the contrast to how Jesus felt in Mark 2. He was at home in Simon Peter's house. Why? Well, I believe that in Mark's gospel, in, in chapter 2, the passage that we read, there's three key principles that we see that we need to adopt 
and we need to live out if we want Jesus to feel at home in this place. For God to be at home, there are three things I think we see in this passage where Jesus healed this man who couldn't walk. And the first is that God's word is preached. Her Majesty the Queen on the 3rd of August this year said this incredible phrase. And when you think about it, it's, it's, it's only a couple of months ago. Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. The teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. I said last week, it's one thing to know Bible verses, but it's something very different to live biblically and to have the teaching and the message of Christ as our guide and our hope, to actually live them out and to build our lives upon them. The religious leaders and the Pharisees in the temples and, and in, in Jesus' day, they, they knew the, the Old Testament. They would have been able to recite it. They, they would know verses upon verses upon verses. If you asked them what verse is this, they would probably have been able to have told you it back. But just because they could remember Bible verses didn't mean that Jesus felt at home around them. Why? Because they didn't live it out. God's word hadn't taken root in their hearts. They say that the longest journey in life is the one from the head to the heart. Many of us know Bible verses upon Bible verses upon Bible verses, but it hasn't trickled down to heart yet. And we see that in Jesus' day, even in, in Mark 2, the, 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 the scribes sitting there thinking these thoughts. And in Mark 11 as well, where, where they, they, they're so angry at Jesus and, and what Jesus said and, and when Jesus preached. Because that's what Jesus was doing in this house. He was preaching. He was teaching them. He was expounding God's word. And as they sat there and listened to him and, and saw how he lived his life, they were so appalled by him, actually so much so that they wanted to kill him. These are the religious leaders of that day. The group of people I personally believe that take most offense to God's kingdom breaking in and to the word of God being preached is, is often not the world or, or atheists, but it's actually the religious at heart. They can't stomach it. And that's what we see in Mark 11 in the temple. They had set it up and become a den of robbers. They were, they were taking people for granted. The words Jesus spoke, the things he did, the way he conducted himself, the religious leaders, they hated it. They hated him. They did all the religious stuff. They knew all the prayers to be able to say and they had all the right clothes on and all these different things. They knew the rituals, but they didn't know Jesus. And that's the difference in these two Bible passages we've read. One house knew Jesus, but the other didn't. In Simon Peter's house, the crowds gathered not because of tradition or religion, because they longed to be near Jesus. They longed to sit at his feet. They longed to hear God's word being preached. That's what verse 2 says. And many were gathered there. 
And Jesus was preaching the word to them. No games, no flashy music, no fancy lights. Just the word being preached by the word made flesh. Isn't that amazing? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Friends, let us never neglect the proclamation of God's word. Our city has tried to remove the second part of our motto. Many people would say, what's Glasgow's motto? And they'd be able to tell you, let Glasgow flourish. And many are trying to remove and, and move away from the second part. Friends, I tell you this, Glasgow will never flourish. Unless it's by the preaching of God's word and the praising of his name. Let us never neglect the proclamation of God's word. Friends, I, I promise you, and I, and I pray that God gives me the, the strength to be able to make this promise. I will never tickle your ears. That's not why I'm here. That's not why we do this. But I pray that God always gives me the courage and the boldness to stand up and preach his word in a way that honors him and him alone. Friends, we are living in a day of dilution where people try and dilute any sort of truth. They try to dilute God's word and, and remove parts of God's word and erase parts of God's word. Our world needs the church to stand firm on the word of God and to preach loud the whole word of God. If we want Jesus to be at home in this place, God's word needs to be preached. And secondly, and it follows on from this, why did Jesus feel at home in Simon Peter's house? Because he was honored. Is God honored in Sandy Hills Parish Church? Is God honored in your life? Is God honored in your home? Is God honored in how you carry your finances? Is God honored in, in your life when no one else can see you and it's just you and you alone? Is God honored in your marriage? Is he honored in how you parent your children? How you look after your grandchildren? Is he honored in how you conduct yourself? Because if we want God to be at home in this place, God's word needs to be preached, but God needs to be honored. It's not good enough for us just to stand up and read the Bible verses. We need to live them out. We need to honor God with our lives and everything that we have. Jesus was the reason they came. It wasn't for the tea and coffee that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was going to do afterwards. It was for Jesus. It was to be near Jesus. Jesus, all for Jesus. Jesus, be the center. That's what they were crying. They, they, were, drawing and being, they were being drawn towards him and being uh, near him. They, just, they needed to be close to him. Why? As his disciples would one day say, to whom else will we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Is God honored in this place? Jesus was the reason they came to Simon Peter's house. Why was the reason they were going to the temple in Mark 11? To make profit. To sell things. Out of piousness. Out of religious. Out of a religious heart. 
They weren't going to worship God. Actually, Jesus says that it's the complete opposite. You've made this place a den of robbers. The, the praise of my name and the worship of God is as far away as, as what you are trying to do in this place. Jesus is saying, you've made my house a den of robbers. God doesn't want a religious heart. He wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. You tell me out of the two passages that we read in Mark's gospel, where was Jesus honored? Where was Jesus welcome? Now, if we were to draw the place where we thought Jesus would be welcome, we would probably have drawn a nice church with a steeple and all these types of things. But just because a church is a steeple and a pulpit and a choir and, a, and an organ and all these things, it doesn't mean that Jesus is welcome and that Jesus is honored in that place. It was Simon Peter's house that Jesus was honored. Friends, we place him first and foremost above everything in our life. But honoring God is not easy. Honoring God and making him feel at home and welcome isn't easy. It's costly. It comes often as an inconvenience to us. Look at how much of an inconvenience this was in this Simon Peter's house or Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house where Jesus fell at home. They ended up with a hole in the roof. How much of an inconvenience is that? But that was the price that they had to pay for Jesus being at home in their life. For Jesus being at home in their house. Is that they ended up, they woke up in the morning, there was no hole. They went to bed, there was a hole. It was costly. It was inconvenient. Friends, honoring Jesus disrupts our norms, our patterns, and our comfort. But when we do it, we see the kingdom of God break out in our midst. Friends, let this church, let this house be God's home. And let it be full of his glory, his presence, his splendor, his majesty. Let it be where people flock to and draw to. Because they know that Jesus resides in this place. To where else can we go, Sandy Hills? For Jesus is at home in your midst. And the crowds were drawing. They were flocking. They, were, they needed to be near Jesus. They wanted to be healed and, and encounter him. They, were, they, they brought those that were, that were ill and, and had infirmities. Just to get a simple touch from Jesus. So that their lives would be transformed by Jesus. But look what we read in Mark 11. Actually what was happening was that they were keeping people away from Jesus. They didn't let the women and the Gentiles and people get close to the temple. They'd set up the, these stalls to, to be able to buy bits and pieces. And, and in doing so, they were actually not letting people get near to where they needed to be. Which one are we? Which one are you? Are you the place where we would let people put a hole in our roof just to be near to Jesus? Or do we hinder people getting close to him? Let this house be full of him and let it be his home. And in doing so, 
God, would you inhabit the praises of your people? Would you be honored in our midst? Is that our prayer? Then thirdly, so God's word is preached. God is honored. And what we see then happen is his kingdom is demonstrated. God's kingdom breaks out. Out of the two places we read, St. Peter's house and the temple, you tell me where was God's presence? Where was God's kingdom breaking out in power? We see the kingdom break in here in this house where four friends, they, they, they take Jesus, they take their friend to be near Jesus. But actually, what happens is probably not what they expected to happen. God's kingdom broke out in a way that they probably didn't anticipate. So there are these four friends and they, 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 they lift their, their friend who can't walk on a mat and they carry him to be near to Jesus so that he can be healed. Here's a question for you, Sandy Hills. Where are those four friends in our congregation? Who was the last person we brought to Jesus? Who was the last person we invited to come to church with us? Who was the last person we said, you know what? I see the mess in your life. I see the difficulties you're going through. Actually, I know the solution. His name is Jesus. When was the last time we brought Jesus to our friends? When was the last time we brought Jesus to our family? I said it to the boys and girls. What always amazed me about the queen was any opportunity she had to point to Jesus and to bring people to Jesus, she took. But these four friends, they lift this man on a mat and they carry him. They can't get near to Jesus. And they don't go, oh, do you know what? We'll come again next Sunday. We'll come again when he's back. They have such a drive and they have such a desire to see their friend impacted by Jesus for the kingdom of God to break into their friend's life that actually they, they, they think outside of the box and they go, well, do you know what? We'll just go above Jesus and dig a hole in the roof and drop him down. Isn't their drive amazing? They wouldn't stop at anything until their friend encountered Jesus to be healed by him. Friends, there are lots of probably what we could call byproducts of the Christian faith. And they're good, they're great. We have people who think about morality because of Christianity. We have uh, sacrificial love for one another that gets spoken about. We have um, people speaking about good, having good virtues and, and we see people thinking about miracles and, and Christian counseling and lots of charity work and that's why schools were started and all these different things and hospitals and, and these amazing things that have been, we could call by, byproducts or, or, or fruit of the Christian faith. Youth work and food banks and the list could go on. But the greatest thing the gospel offers this world, the reason Jesus came the reason for his birth, his death, his resurrection is that the gospel provides the solution to the greatest need this world has ever had and ever will have. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
that in Christ alone my hope is found. That only in Jesus, only by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can sins be forgiven. That is the greatest need this world has. Jesus dealt with external problems. We see him do it. He dealt with sickness. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He healed the wither hand. He fed people miraculously. He did all these external things. But thanks be to God that he dealt with the greatest need our world has. The greatest need that has ever been in my life. That when Jesus proclaimed God's kingdom... What he would say is, repent and believe. Friends, don't misunderstand what God's kingdom is all about. All these byproducts, they're great, they're wonderful, but do not let them detract from the reason Jesus came, to seek and save that which was lost. I was dead in my sins, and he offers me life. This man and his friends might have thought that this lame man's greatest need was for him to get his ability to be able to walk again. And it's probably why they brought him to Jesus. So that Jesus could stop him being paralyzed. But Jesus knew what this man's greatest need was. For his sins to be forgiven. Friends, it's your greatest need too. You might feel that you're surrounded by tornadoes and storms and everything seems to be going wrong. And do you know what? God cares about that stuff. He absolutely does. But your greatest need is for your sins to be forgiven. The greatest need for us and this world is the forgiveness of sins. Friends, the cross is the great leveler. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how many cars are sitting in your driveway. Before the cross, we all stand the same. Sinners condemned unclean. Before the cross, Queen Elizabeth II stood just the same as a poor blind beggar would stand. Does it matter that she lived in a palace and that poor beggar might have lived in a street? Before the cross, we're all the same. We're all on our knees needing forgiveness for our sins. And the grace of God says, I've sent my son. You have the solution. Repent and belief. Her Majesty the Queen knew that even though she had earthly splendor that we could maybe even only dream of and wealth and that she never wanted for anything, she knew she needed Jesus. And I finish with a quote from her Christmas Day service in 2011. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are. 
but a saviour. A saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families. It can restore friendships. It can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, that it challenges us and it convicts us. And Father, we, we pray that by your word this morning, once again, we've been brought to the foot of your cross. And God, I ask in your grace and your mercy that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would convict us, you would illuminate the sins in our life, Lord, that you want to deal with, that you've already dealt with at the cross of Calvary. Lord, we hear the cry of the kingdom of God this morning. Repent and believe. God, we pray that you would feel at home in this place. You would feel at home in our lives. You would feel at home in our houses. You would feel at home in the east end of Glasgow. Lord, help us to always stand firm in your word and to preach it. Help us to honor you in everything that we do. And God, we see the kingdom of God break out in incredible and powerful ways in these days and the weeks and the months and years to come, we pray. For it's all for your glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.